Welcome to Positively Speaking, the podcast that explores experiences of people living with HIV, the virus that causes AIDS. I'm your host, Liz Creel. I'm a social worker at Casey House, an HIV specialty hospital in Toronto, Canada. When we first started work on this podcast, we polled our clients to find out what aspects of living with HIV they thought were most important to share. One that came through loud and clear was relationships in HIV. Clients said that we have to talk about how HIV impacts relationships. So that's what we're going to do in this episode. You're going to hear four people describe how living with HIV has impacted their relationships. For some, it's strengthened them. For others, it's forced them to examine their own needs and values and what's important to them. One consistent concern for people living with HIV is negotiating intimate sexual relationships. Disclosure is a huge issue. Also, we can't talk about HIV in relationships without touching on pre-exposure prophylaxis, or PrEP, a drug to prevent transmission of HIV, or without talking about the evidence that if the viral load is undetectable, then the virus is untransmittable, otherwise known as U equals U. First up is Andre. He's my colleague and co-host of this podcast. He's going to start things off by talking about how the realities of PrEP and U equals U have changed perceptions about HIV transmission. Now, I think we live in a very interesting era right now because not only the pre-exposure prophylaxis, but also treatment as prevention or undetectable viral load equals untransmittable where people that are living with HIV and are taking consistently their treatment and have their viral load undetectable cannot transmit HIV to others as well. And it has been proven that it's, if it's not more uh, safer than the condos, it's very similar. So I think it's, it's a very uh, uh, interesting times for us. And I really hope that those, you know, prevention tools that are, that are flourishing will uh, provide more opportunities for people to talk about HIV or even other sexual transmitted infections uh, in their relationship. As Andre mentioned, these prevention tools have allowed people to have relationships and sexual interactions with people living with HIV without the fear of getting infected. They provide an extra safety net and peace of mind for both HIV-positive and HIV-negative people. Greg is a long-term survivor. He reflects on the different realities of having a partner back when the HIV epidemic emerged as compared to today. My experience is um, a little more extensive because of the history that I carry and how soon I was infected in this epidemic. Um, so uh, today is a little different than it was in the past. In, I, and I think serosorting has become a little more um, less talked about because of preventive treatments that are now on the market. So there are a lot of people in the community that will use um, the pre-exposure prophylaxis, the drugs that will prevent them from getting HIV. And so I think there's, you know, the shine on zero sorting is kind of waffling a bit, I think, right now. Mm. However, I do think <clears throat> there's a leftover problem that... Um, Maybe not a problem, but something that we need to take forward and understand better. And that is we've come through a period where safe sex was the only sex I was allowed to have. So for me, using a condom and other pieces of latex to protect my partner and protect myself became a ritual part of my sexual expression. 
for me to move beyond that now is very uncomfortable. I think that's uh, good to know when, when we're dealing in the community because you can often at times feel as if people now feel more liberated about getting rid of the condom because they can protect themselves against HIV with drugs. And um, I'd like to understand a little better what their experience is, but I'd also like them to understand that there are some of us who are still more comfortable using safe sex methods. There are many people living with HIV who are in healthy, serodiscordant relationships because their partners were well-informed and educated about HIV. Serodiscordant relationships, also called magnetic couples, are when the partners have different HIV status. One is HIV positive and one HIV negative. Serosorting is when a person looks for a sex partner who has the same HIV status. Like Craig, Jean is also a long-term survivor. She's a 55-year-old trans woman living in Toronto, and she remembers that in the early days of the epidemic, the burden of educating people about HIV rested primarily on the person living with the disease. In 1991, you had to discuss it more information. I had to learn the information. And then when people asked me um, about HIV, um, I gave them the information that I had. So it's, it's difficult. We'd make a couple of friends. Um, I had friends that um, were very, ha- not happy, but glad that I told them, happy. Um, and then maybe one or two persons that who I know that were, wasn't educated, that needed to be educated. Like you can't get HIV from kissing, drinking from the glass, from a spoon, stuff like that. As Greg and Jean have indicated, people with HIV carry a number of burdens. They need to disclose their disease and they need to educate people about it. On top of all that, they often need to support the people they just disclosed to. For Greg, that's one burden too many. If if you're at all interested in a positive outcome there, then people who don't have that information are going to hopefully benefit if you can share at least something that allows them to relax a little bit with you. Um, but that expectation, I don't think, um, should always lie on the shoulders of people living with HIV. It's uh, one in which we all take responsibility for educating ourselves about any of the diseases that exist in the world today mm-hmm. and how we can be more compassionate with and care for those who we care for and love. So um, I would just caution that, uh, you know, if someone does disclose to you that um, maybe you can take the time to go off and read a little more about HIV and AIDS and, and you know, current treatments and where we've been and where we've come from and what we know is true so that uh, misinformation um, is not further spread. Disclosure is something that is difficult for almost everyone living with HIV because you never know how the other person will react or how you're going to be judged. Also, disclosure becomes an essential part of negotiating sex. Phil was diagnosed with HIV when he was only 22 years old. He describes his journey along this road. Through self-advocacy and self-education, it made me realize that it's more empowering to use that, that, that knowledge and those skills to help others and, and also help prevent others from having to walk the same hard road that I found myself walking. 
So when I was using Crystal, I was able to disclose very easily. Um, but when I wasn't using, I that's when I met the men I, I would want to date. I didn't want to date someone who used crystal meth. I, I didn't want to use crystal meth. It was just medication. As we've heard from Phil, some people use substances in order to give them the courage to disclose their HIV status. When people are disclosing, they often feel in control. However, for Phil, that control was taken out of his hands and the outcome was devastating. The very first thing before it impacted my health or anything else for that matter, it devastated and completely altered all my relationships. Um, the first thing that happened was, like, I, I, I think my friends were affected primarily first. Um, I, I had a, tons of friends and, and a, a massive circle of friends, but only a, a small handful of, of friends stuck by me. Um, it was almost like, like in, at the time, it, it was... I was somewhat ignorant of what was going on, but I was very aware at the same time. Um, but like people I would meet, it was very, it felt almost like I was in trouble, like I had the plague. Um, people stuck, like, stuck away from approaching me or would very quickly like detach themselves from me when, when, I, when I met new, like, new people at the clubs or at the bars or on Church Street. Um, and this was largely due to the fact that almost everyone in Toronto knew from the get-go that I, I had HIV. And it was on a Sunday afternoon when, you know, the, the gossip queens were all out. And, and anything you wanted to find out or anything you didn't want to find out, well, that was the day to find out. And as I'm crossing the street, there, my, my former best friend and then just co- like a colleague, um, shout out, Oh my God, you have AIDS as I'm crossing the street. And I stopped, I'm founded. And I look up and down at everyone sitting down at Timothy's. And I'm just like, oh dear Lord. Like, yeah, thanks. And now everyone in Toronto knows. Unfortunately, Phil's story is not unique. Many people have been publicly outed in this way. And like Phil, that often leads to loneliness and isolation. Alberto's story goes even further. Alberto is originally from Mexico, and he found out about his HIV status there. And although he found support from his partner when he disclosed his HIV status, he still felt compelled to leave the country and come to Canada because of stigma and discrimination. I said to my partner, I am HIV positive. He took the research, put it under the table, and said, please don't say anybody, your family and your friends for the scream and discrimination. Uh, he gave me a very big hug. He told me nothing changed between us. Everything is going to be the same. I love you. For Phil, his experiences with stigma and discrimination weren't much different from Alberto's. I went from being the person that everyone wanted to brush up against on, on the dance floor to I would literally be like like dancing on my, on my own and in the middle of the, the club and everyone was just staying away from me. Phil's story represents what we see every day, that HIV is still attached to a lot of stigma and shame. Many living with HIV end up isolated because people distance themselves once they learn about their HIV status. Others prefer to isolate themselves as a form of self-preservation because they don't want to disclose to someone they feel might reject them. It's easy for people to jump to conclusions and to judge how and why someone got HIV but this can lead to stigma and discrimination. 
HIV is a virus that can be passed on in many different ways and that everyone is potentially vulnerable to contracting. It doesn't take into consideration skin color, gender, or sexual orientation. And it doesn't care about religion, level of education, where you came from, how much money you have, or how many lovers you've had. We've heard about the stigma and discrimination associated with being HIV positive. Greg is a perfect example. I've had two serodiscordant relationships, one of which was 23 years, and um, that person remained uninfected through the entire period. And uh, we had a satisfying sexual relationship. Um, And the relationship I have now, which I never thought I would move into, because after the one period of of, uh, of living in a serodiscordant uh, relationship, I thought, gee, it'll be so much easier just to live with someone that has HIV. Um, it didn't work out that way. So I, um, I didn't follow my own rule. Disclosing one's HIV status can be challenging and can have a negative impact on relationships. Phil talks about how the role of disclosing and educating became a healing one in his approach to relationships and sense of self. I learned how easy it was to disclose and how how enlightening it was to me to educate about HIV to others while disclosing. Um, And it almost became a part of of who I am, both both in my, my, my career slash my social. And so when I wasn't, drunk or high, I very much be, I became a peer kind of outreach kind of guy. We've also heard how the process of disclosure can be empowering and how HIV has had a positive impact on self. Jean talks about the choices she made about how to disclose and build a secure circle around her. I've had the best life I can have with people knowing and some people not knowing, but you juggle that, you juggle and you know who to tell and who not to tell. Um, and then you go and you get more wise, and then you go and tell your, the other ones that don't know that now become your friends um, and part of the circle. For Greg, his early experiences of finding pride in his gay identity gave him strength. And it also gave him confidence going forward in relationships after discovering he was HIV positive. We were at university at the time, and it was my first relationship. But I was with a number of friends at the time, um, and we grew together. Uh, Certainly, I was given an example of how to be proud of who I was as a gay man. And it served me very well once I became HIV positive, because I had stripped away the stigma of understanding that I didn't have to feel bad about myself because someone else felt bad about me. So there was that pre-AIDS period that actually kind of prepared me. It didn't, I I don't know that it made the, the 80s any easier, but by the time I'd gone through the 80s and some of the fear had lifted, I think I've had much more positive impact on my own life and on other people's lives. For some, disclosing their HIV status can be challenging. For others, disclosure and educating about HIV can be empowering, while others have actually found love and support after disclosing. After two years, I told my mom who was very sick, and I talked with my sibling, my younger brother. And I said, please help me with my mom, because 
I I can't help her. She she was sick. I'm very depressed because I am HIV positive. He cried. He hugged me. I say I love you. He gave me a big hug. In Alberto's case, he decided to distance himself from everyone he loved in order to hide his HIV status, afraid of how people would react and treat him if they found out he was HIV positive. When Alberto found himself in a situation where he desperately needed help, he found the courage to tell his family. Fortunately, they've taken the news really well and have supported him ever since. When Andre was interviewing our guests, he asked them if they had a message for our audience. This is what Jean had to say. I live um, with HIV day to day, and I take my medication, and that's the end of it. See my physicians, but I, I love my body. I love me. In HIV, I'm, I'm surviving some complications, but like I love my body and I love me, and I have to. I have to. To um, love myself before I can love anybody else. Many people with HIV feel a lot of guilt and shame, which impacts their self esteem. No one living with HIV should feel bad about themselves or let anyone put them down. As Jean said, loving yourself can be the first step towards forgiving yourself and accepting yourself for who you are. When you're faced with the fear of death and you know you're going to leave this world, you begin to understand things a little differently. And uh, that was a gift that I was given at a very young age, which um, I now see as a gift. I may not have at the time. Had you asked me back then, I would have been quite upset to suggest that this was a gift. But it has worked out for me because it's allowed me to understand love, to understand what it really does mean to, uh, to be here and be present on this earth and love someone and care for someone and be part of a loving environment. So that's the greatest gift I've got from HIV, um, and it's, it's, it's one that I don't think is easily taught. Um, I had to learn the hard way, I guess, but I, I, I have got it, and it is a very positive message. Greg isn't alone in feeling this way. We hear from many people that living with HIV isn't easy. But for some, HIV has had a positive impact on their lives. It's changed the way they understand and relate to themselves, and consequently, the way they relate to others. It's also made them appreciate and value their relationships much more. In this episode, you've heard how HIV impacts relationships, some in positive ways, some negative. You've heard about the complexities around disclosure, stigma, rejection, isolation, relationships lost, and fear of starting new ones. You've heard stories of resiliency, hope, and courage. If you're someone living with or affected by HIV, there are many wonderful organizations and groups in the community who can provide supports and services. Please visit hiv411.ca. We'd like to thank our guests Alberto, Jean, Phil, and Greg for sharing their stories. If you have any comments or questions about this episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at caseyhouse.ca. You can also visit our website at caseyhouse.com for a transcript of this episode, a glossary of terms, and occasional bonus material. This episode was produced by the RTA School of Media at Ryerson University. It was written and produced by Andre Sorrento, Amanda Crawford, and me, Liz Creel. The music was composed and performed by Nick Nussbaum. 
Remember to subscribe to Positively Speaking on your favorite podcast platform. Our next episode will be about HIV and mental health. Here's a short clip to give you a taste of what's to come. So after the diagnosis, that's when I started to experience the loss and the extreme trauma and the realization that my future would be very different than what I had planned. And um, and that created a lot of huge mental health problems. They, my mental health problems that were before I would, I was able to maintain them and maintain the illusion of being fine. I couldn't do it anymore. I just broke down and I needed help. So that HIV was what sort of pushed my mental health to over the edge. Thanks for listening.